Hello everyone and welcome to the latest Scots We Hate podcast and we're doing this from a rather wet Edinburgh Book Festival unfortunately but I have with me um, the American writer Andy Davidson. Hello Andy. Hi, Alistair. And uh, we're going to talk about your debut novel In the Valley of the Sun. Um, this was a book which uh, Saraband, your publisher, sent me and um, said have a read of this, we think you'll like it. So they obviously know me well, because I absolutely loved it. Um, now, I know how I would describe it, but I'd rather hear how you describe In the Valley of the Sun. Um, in, the, in the Valley of the Sun is the story of a drifter who is a serial killer who um, settles on a victim that is a little bit more than he bargained for. And this is a, a decision that, unfortunately changes his life forever not for the better um and along the way in dealing with this this horrible thing that has happened to him uh he meets up with a widow and her son who are running a fledgling motel at the edge of the west texas desert and so it's a little bit like um the film Tinder Mercies yeah. uh, meets Taxi Driver <laughs> by way of uh, Near Dark. Yeah, well, that Near Dark was, we'll come on to the influences later on, but Near yeah. Dark was what I thought of when I read it because it's set in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's real kind of heat about it. You know, it's the sweats and the, it's literally blood, sweat and tears going on there, right. without a doubt. Um, and it is, as you've hinted at, kind of crime meets horror mm-hmm. in that way. Um, it's also a vampire right. story, so um, I'm really fascinated by why this was the story you wanted to write, particularly for your debut. Yeah, well, um, you notice, like, I, probably you notice in my describing it that I eschewed the word vampire. Right. I think that's become habit at this point. Okay, um, that's interesting. But, um, no, the, the idea was, um, this idea came to me... Um, I was outside in my backyard painting the fence, okay. and um, you know I, I got my MFA in fiction in 2004, and um, uh, I got married in 2007, and I had not published, I had not written much um, in 2008, I guess. Um, I got married, and I had not written anything for about 10 years. Right, and it reached a point in my professional life, my day job, that I thought, you know, this is not satisfying in the way that it should be, so it's time to get back to writing, it's time to do something. You, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to forget how to do it if you don't do it. Yeah. And um, so I'm out painting the fence in the backyard, and uh, I'm thinking about this song that I knew uh, when I was a kid, and it's the Dwight Yoakam cover of uh, the old Johnny Horton song, Honky Tonk Man. Right. So the idea comes to me, listening, thinking about these lyrics, you know, I'm a honky tonk man, I can't seem to stop. I love to give the girls a whirl to the music of an old jukebox. Um, this is what's on my iPod while I'm painting the fence. Yeah. And I listened to it a few times and I thought, you know, this is a really sinister song. There's something going on here with this guy. Like, what if this is a confession that it's not just about what he's saying it's about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I came up with this idea of a serial killer, that this was essentially his M.O., was that he went to honky-tonks, he picked up women, and he murdered them. Yeah. And um, at the time, it seemed like a cheap idea. It seemed like kind of a, an idea that I was going to pursue in a, 
I think it started out as a script and I wrote about a 110 page script. There was nothing supernatural in it at all. Okay. Um, It was simply a crime story. And it was very much Tender Mercies and Taxi Driver, which neither of those films have too much in the way of vampires. No, that's true. Um, So, um, the supernatural element came later, but that's essentially how it all got started, was just this idea for um, this character. Yeah. Yeah, Travis. What I like about the, as you say, he, he, he takes on someone that changes his life forever right um, and that's the, it's the consequences so here he is he's this um, uh, as you say serial killer apparently charismatic character because he's a tremendous character I think mm. I, I, I think of him you. almost like a cross between James Dean and Iggy Pop and that's how I <laughs> picture him anyway wow um, but uh, the idea of it, what you've done by bringing in that element I think is to give consequences to this to, to this character's actions was that kind of intentional yeah um I think the the idea of the supernatural here lets me lets us as readers explore things that you know uh, maybe maybe fiction that doesn't have that in it we can explore some things uh, you know you certainly you can you can deal with the spiritual you can deal with um, uh, life after death these sorts of things without you know, writing about vampires. Yeah, so I think horror lets us explore things that maybe genres that don't contain elements of the supernatural do let us explore. Um, and certainly, like I said, you can explore the supernatural without horror. You can explore life after death. You can explore spiritual subjects. Um, but I think all of us are ultimately afraid of those things. You know, if, if, if we have belief, if we have faith, or even if we don't, there's possibly the fear of what happens next or the fear of death. And so horror, in a way, is, is a very good genre to blend with those things. Loneliness, isolation, um, a lot of the existential problems of, yeah. of people that we face. Um, horror kind of compounds those things. And there was a practical element to bringing that element into it, too. Just thinking about, like, for Travis, who's a serial killer... He's already going to be pursued by the police. He's he's got his mo as a killer down. Yeah. Uh, what can I do that's going to make his life worse? But also, in making it worse, is going to create a compelling problem for him that the reader will actually, hopefully, empathize with him as a character. And I think that's right. I think that, well, certainly I did empathize with him, and that is a difficult trick to pull off considering what the right, guy does. Right. Right. Um, and you also mentioned that uh, you went back to some of the, the things you read when you were younger, and that's what I thought about. You know, I thought about writers like Stephen King and Clive Barker sure. and um, James Herbert and people like that. I used to devour when I was younger. Absolutely, yeah. I loved them. Um, and it certainly kind of fit in that uh, genre. Absolutely. Was that something that you kind of wanted to do? Well, that was a big part of bringing in the supernatural as well. You know, I. I read, um, when I was a kid, I I read Stephen King voraciously. Um, But the first book that I ever read that was written, I guess you would call it for adults, uh, an adult novel, was Watchers by Dean Koontz. Then then Dean R. Koontz. He's since dropped the initial. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He also had hair in those photographs. (laughs) Or he didn't have hair in those photographs back then. Now he has hair, so something's up with that. Something supernatural. So he lost the initial and he, he grew the hair. 
Um, but no, Watchers was a was a was a book that I enjoyed, and that's that's definitely a horror novel. And and so, um, you know, I've I've been around horror all my life, so it just seemed like a natural a natural fit. Yeah, because I was reading. I, what I did was I took the script that I wrote, and um, I wrote a novel. I basically novelized my script because I knew. Um, I'm never going to sell a film living here in Georgia. Right. You know, I, I'm not going to be a part of the movie industry. So this was an exercise in teaching myself screenwriting, maybe, but it's not going to come to anything. And so um, I sat down over the course of a weekend and wrote out a very rough novelization of that script. And that novelization was nowhere near complete as the final book is. But that was the beginning of it. And then when I read it and was looking through it, I still felt like there's something missing from this. There's something not here that, that really piques my interest as a reader. And ultimately, that was horror. Right. That was the... That was right. Now, the you element. said you wanted to avoid the term vampire. Yeah. So yeah. That, well, why That's tricky. is that? Well, well, when I wrote this, vampire fiction was still, you know, I, don't, I guess to a certain degree, it maybe it still is, I don't know, but it's certainly come back a bit into the realm of horror. Mm -hmm. But vampire fiction was the province of young adult literature yeah. at the time that I wrote this. You know, Twilight. Tw Post-Twilight, yeah. So so it didn't seem like a good idea to put in a this query letter. <laughs> Here is my 80,000-word vampire novel. <laughs> and um, sure enough, it wasn't. I mean, I, all my, I had about a dozen queries that were rejected. So. Yeah. So I finally landed an agent by going and sitting down in a room face to face with one in a conference, and and I think that the the material kind of communicated something to her. It was like it's just that subjective click, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely left the word vampire out because of because since then I think I've got my dates right. You've had things like Let the Right One In. Um, well, you've the vampire movie has become a oh, movie yeah, yeah. and books I think sure. become more of a kind of adult concern again. Yeah, well, and films have always been there. Like, there's never been a shortage of vampire films. You know, yeah. there was there was um, that Neil Jordan uh, it was a Byzantium. Yeah. Um, there's there's been Let the Right One In before that. Um, you know, True Blood uh, television series. That series was very popular. And, yeah. But of course, Charlene Harris, I mean, what she was writing, it, arguably, is that horror what she was writing, you know, and, it, and I, I, I don't know, but, um, but vampires at the time still were in that province of, you know, is it horror, is it something else, are we yeah. spoofing something, are we, are we writing, you know, supernatural romance, it's, it's yeah, not exactly it, it horror. It become you know? a kind of romantic trope almost, wasn't it, that yeah. Yeah, you could uh, save the, well, but there, no, that's interesting, because there's a little bit of that in, in the Valley of the Sun, uh -huh. because Travis eventually meets uh, Annabelle yeah. and her son Sandy, and right. that Right. as well. I don't yeah. want to give anything away, it's just sure. not me if I am, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what can you say about that relationship? Um, well, Annabelle and Sandy, I mean, there are elements of both of... Both of them have elements of me in them, I think. It's right. The, the idea of being... Um, uh, the, the, the child is, is definitely connected to, to me as a kid, and... And Annabelle is, I understand, you know, that sense of loneliness, that sense of spiritual isolation, and and um, and and then you know, I, I'm sure there are elements of me and Travis as well. But but the idea of putting those three characters together, um, there had to be a lightness to the darkness of Travis. There had yeah. to be a side of humanity to him 
that I think Annabelle and Sandy bring that out. It's it's the it's the broken family unit that he comes from that he recognizes in them a little bit perhaps that in his mind at least I think he sees them as this can be the completion of what I never had. Yeah. Yeah. I think to me they kind of offer the the, the chance of redemption to Travis, you know, we call it a saving of his soul or whatever you want to call it. But also they are necess- necessary to make him to have any empathy with him at all because if right. he didn't have that then what you would just have is a kind of out now right. you know slaughter yeah no and I, I love that idea of you know a monster it's in some ways it's it's the it's it's a very old trope of the monster and the child and the monster is compassionate and kind to the child the child sees the monster and isn't afraid of the monster yeah yeah, yeah going back to Frankenstein, Frankenstein and, yeah. yeah absolutely um, I just, this is something that came to me, it might be completely nonsense, but is the imagery of the white rabbit, is that significant in any way? Um, well, maybe not. I, I, <laughs> no, I, 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 I just, I'm obsessed with Alice in Wonderland. Well, no, it's, there's no Alice in Wonderland necessarily there, but there is the idea of, you know, purity, purity whiteness, yeah. yeah. Because you'd say that this is, uh, you know, I said blood, sweat, and tears. It's absolutely caked in blood, isn't it? Right. I mean, it's really. <laughs> well, and this may not be so much of a spoiler if your readers are astute, which is essentially yeah. that anytime two cute little furry animals show up in a, in a horror novel, they're. Yeah, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. So, we've spoken a little bit about the influences on it. Can you talk some more about the influences on your writing? Um, sure. Um, you know, I mentioned King, but um, one of the big influences on me as a writer has been Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think McCarthy is amazing. I've, I've, I've loved him since graduate school, um, which was when I read Blood Meridian. Um, I first read No Country for Old Men when it came out right. in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it seemed like a watered-down, slick version of what McCarthy had done before. It was sparse. It was, it was fast. It was, it was um, thinner right. than those other books. And That's interesting. And I came back to it about 15 years later, before I wrote this book. And I, of course, I had seen the Coen Brothers film, which is a masterpiece. Um, for all of those reasons, I love it now. It's fast. It's 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 quick, but it doesn't sacrifice language. But there's there's an attention to setting and detail that's a hallmark of his work. Um, but it's very much uh, written almost to be a commercial novel. When you yeah. read it, it feels like it's it's going to be a success. This book. Yeah. You know? So I I was reading that book. I re- read and reread that book. Um, his other book that has been a big influence on me was Child of God, which is a great book about uh, necrophilia in the hills of Tennessee. So that's nice. <laughs> He's um, a cheaty. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, movies have been a big influence on me. I've, I've you know, film and, and... I felt this this novel was very kind of cinematic. I could imagine it on the screen, absolutely. Well, and that's, yeah. that's a high compliment. To me, that's like, that's what you want to do. Yeah. I, because I'm... Uh, the term literary gets thrown around a lot with regard to fiction and and I I have a very ambivalent relationship with that term because it can be both damning and praising you know it's a difficult thing to describe what you what the person means when they say literary right and in my estimation what you want is a novel that that 
has a very quick plot, very fast read, but does not sacrifice attention to language and 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 uh, character. So that's what I'm aiming for. So to me, No Country for Old Men really hit that spot. Right, and it's interesting. It sounds almost as if you think Cormac McCarthy was writing that book to be made into a film. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And that's that film, by the way, is a perfect marriage of. Um, literature and, and film two mediums the, the adaptation of that is extraordinary I think so yeah it's almost in, they, they become almost inseparable in my mind sometimes yeah. Yeah. The talking of films at the very beginning there's a Night of the Hunter quote yes yes, yeah. yes, yes. is that another film which both, both the and film the and the book and the yeah, book, yeah. Uh, the film is incredible uh, it's yeah, just one of the most Shelley Winters and directed by Charles Lawton yeah. it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen and I, I love it um, and then I read the book um, and the book was incredible too and so I was reading the book again while I was writing this novel working on revisions and it definitely found its way into the book I think there's a there's a phrase that I stole directly from Davis Grubb who wrote the novel uh, sputtering hot coffee yeah I, yeah. I robbed that um, <laughs> but yeah he's wonderful so yeah I think it was 1954 or 56 one of those two dates that he wrote that book because um, I think the film was 59 but I could be totally wrong about all of that so because um, there are sections in your I should say that in the Valley of the Sun you jump back and forth in time and right like, right yeah um, the, the the structure of um, Night of the Hunter is is interesting. It, I think it's divided into four books, and it, for the most part, it follows the um, the two children who are main characters. But there are a couple of chapters that will suddenly turn and focus on characters that never appear in the in the in the book again. Uh, what you would think to be peripheral or minor characters, um, like a, a hangman at the prison yeah. where the children's father is executed. And I, one of the things I love about Lawton's film is that he, he does the same thing. He gives the hangman and his wife a scene in the film just as they have in the book, and ultimately it creates such a sense of humanity in, in the movie. So, yeah. And is that, with Annabelle and Sandy, is that the, kind of the humanity that you're bringing forward? You know, saying that yeah. things aren't all dark here. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a sense of hope with the two of them. I, I think they're at the beginning of the novel... Um, Annabelle is, is being baptized in, into the Christian faith and, and Sandy, as we learn, has been baptized in the past and and you get the sense that Annabelle's doing it simply to make her son happy, yeah. that this will make him hopeful about the future. He, they've lost, you know, he's lost his father. Um, and so she struggles throughout the entire book with that notion of what is this all about? I mean, is this, does this mean anything? What's 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 after life do we meet you know my husband again uh, probably not yeah and so i think she's trying to just create that hope for the for her son but uh, but out of that i yeah. think ultimately the the love that grows out of the their their strife and their their difficulties in the novel uh is a different kind of hope that's created but yeah. it's still maybe is, yeah so. it's not um it's a kind of firmer hope yeah, you know right. because it's actually a relationship between the two of them rather than right. what they've lost right right at a certain point a decision has to be made um what do we want you know do i want from the boy's perspective do i want a father do i want 
this idea of a thing or do I want to protect my mother and look after her? Yeah, because yeah. when with um, Travis being involved in, there's a sense of, oh no, don't do it. You know, right. He's not the man for you. Believe me, he's not the man for you. Um, and I think that's done really well because you understand that it's not simply some kind of physical attraction or anything like that. There's a the idea of a family unit is a very important one. Yes. To to her and, and the idea right. of bringing up her son in the right way. Right. And I think what she seems to do is gain strength throughout the, the novel to see that actually she's got the strength that yes. she can do that. Absolutely. Um, we've talked kind of a little bit about the, the, the horror in the book, but then the crime side of things, because we do also have our reader and Cecil, our detectives. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about those guys. Um, they were in there from the very beginning. Um, reader is uh, partly influenced by Tommy Lee Jones's performance in No Country <laughs> for Old Men, um, but he's not exactly the the physical type that I had in mind when I was when I was writing the character. Um, you know, I I love the western genre, I, you know, all the old uh, John Ford films, and anytime you get Henry Fonda in the role of Wyatt Earp or Marshall, yeah. you've got a great character there, and so there's this this sort of archetypal character of the noble lawman, uh, the film Hell or High Water. Yeah. Jeff Bridges' performance in that, I think, is very much that archetype. But I like the idea, too, of flipping that on its head and, and showing you that maybe there's great doubt and great fear inside this man. And, and Cecil is just... Cecil Cecil. He's just the fun sidekick. He's, <laughs> he's the sidekick, he's, yeah. he's the small glimmer of comic relief in this book. Yeah. The Martin Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting as well, I think, because I found that the characters um, and the way that they speak and the way that they move even and everything absolutely fitted the place. And you could, if I didn't know, mm -hmm. you could tell that this writer, this is where they're from. Because yeah, they felt yeah. it. You know, sometimes you read... Um, books, um, particularly I think set in America, because we're all very familiar with, with that American fiction. Sure. Um, and you can kind of tell the it's not quite right. There's something a bit off. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, did you find it quite natural to write these characters? The characters, yes. Um, I think one of the things that that helps the authenticity of the book is the landscape yeah. and the, uh, yeah, the setting yeah. and having those details right. Um, some, sometimes I get asked the question of, you wrote a period novel, 1980 is the setting, yeah. and, and, and I always... Is that a period novel? Well, that I, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. And, and I always think, well, that's kind of shocking to me, because I didn't try to write yeah. the 1980s. I just, you basically just remove technology from the yeah. picture, and you've yeah. got the past. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, as long as the characters... I forget what actor said it. I don't know if it was Harrison Ford that said it about Indiana Jones that the character was the hat. Yeah. You know, it's like if you've got the right the jacket and the hat, if you've got the right outfit on the character, then suddenly you've got the character. I know um, the, the, there's a version of Hercule Poirot in mm -hmm. this country, which is where I right. David Suchet, and he says when he puts the mustache yes. on, yeah. he is Poirot. Yeah. I need the voice and everything going to take. So. Yeah. Um, so... It examines 
kind of ideas of good and evil, I suppose it perhaps has to, mm-hmm. um, given the subject matter. But uh, as you say, it does. There are lots of kind of existential questions as well. Um, with that serious side of the book, was that something that was very important to you? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I started with a cheap idea, yeah. and that's been a hallmark of me over the years. Is that I'll come up with an idea, and it'll be a cheap idea. So the idea here was, seed of the idea was serial killer killing women in hockey tonks um, chooses a victim tables are turned becomes a vampire sounds like a cheap idea Um, along the way the uh, I don't want to say the MFA inside of me but because I you know again just like with with other things I have a kind of ambivalent notion about literariness and, and, and the MFA yeah but um but I will say that, that I can't leave it at a cheap idea, I think, yeah. you know, and, and in the case of this book, it, when it started getting fleshed out, I found that I had things to say about yeah. life, about loss, about grief that I didn't have to say 10 years ago. And so they just naturally worked their way in. Because it, um, to me, uh, it's not simply pulp fiction, for want of a better term. Right, there, is, right. there is a lot more going on. And... If you're not going to say it, there are literary, you know, yeah, devices yeah. in there and things, you know, examinations in there. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure that's maybe what attracted um, Saraband to, to it in the first place because that's I think they do that very well. Yeah. They did that with the Graham McRae Burnett's. Oh yeah, book, yeah, yeah. You know, that's and, a great book. His book. Um, and you know, yeah. there are unfortunately. I mean, in this country crime is king it's massive <laughs> I, I don't know what it's like in the states but here it it's is, pretty you know. much the king genre there yeah, too. yeah. Um, so much so that actually Stephen King has started writing crime novels <laughs> really so wow. yeah um, but a that like any genre encompasses such a huge range of things and, uh, and styles mm-hmm. um, and it was actually reading through Contraband which is the crime imprint of Saraband which you are on um, it was through the novels that they started releasing that got me back into reading crime much more widely. Right. So, God, there's some really good writing out there. Yeah. There's some stuff which, you know, is, is, it does what it wants to do, which is kind of, as I say, pulp fiction. Yeah. But there's other stuff which is examining a whole lot more. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, just my observation from the last week and a half that we've been here in the UK, books are king in this country. Yeah. I mean, you see more people reading on the underground, reading on buses, reading reading in coffee shops here with a book in your an actual book in hand than you do at home that's back, really back in interesting because yeah. I think um, the perception is that isn't the case even though we are at one of the biggest book festivals in the, anywhere in the world and it's right. always packed out you know? wow but um, a that's really interesting to hear. So how is publishing in, in America? What's your, kind of your experience well, of that? My experience is pretty limited so far. Right. So I, you know, I, I can only speak to what I've observed in the last year and a half since I've been invited into the, the tent, so to speak. Yeah. But um, it seems like publishing in the U.S. is balancing out I mean, I don't know. This I haven't looked at the books, yeah. you know, the ledgers or whatever. But um, there was a time period, uh, maybe ten years ago, when self-publishing took off with Amazon. Yeah. That it seemed like, oh, the publishers are in trouble. Bookstores are in trouble. Everything's in trouble. And the publishers, I think, have kind of rebounded from that and figured out their way through it. And um, it seems like 
the bookstores are still struggling a bit. You know, yeah. you, you see bookstores becoming more and more coffee um, shops, coffee and, shops yeah. and, and pop culture uh, sellers. Uh, you know, uh, the, the ubiquitous um, uh, pop, little pop dolls, you yeah. know, big at Barnes and & Noble. And, and um, so, I, you know, I guess it seems like it's trying to adapt. Yeah. Um, but... But in terms of the publishing world, as I've seen it through publishing a horror novel, it seems like horror is a genre that continues to be a little bit marginalized. Yeah. And you have writers within the genre who write in a very specific niche um, with smaller magazines and e-zines and smaller presses publishing their work for an audience that is out there and ready to read them. Yeah. But it's not what you would get with a big five publisher like Macmillan or, or you know, Random House or anything like that. So the, it's a smaller audience. Yeah. Um, and it's harder to break into those, those big five with a horror novel. Yeah. So what are the publishing, aside from... Are they publishing crime or is that? No, they're, they're, they're definitely they're, publishing crime. crime. Yeah. What else? Because certainly, I think the difficulty in the UK is is getting the literary novel from another term or the the novel which doesn't fit into an easy category. Out. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- that seems to be what they're doing. Is you're you're finding from the larger publishers, novelists and writers who are exceptionally talented, and they're writing in these multiple genres they're writing the literary novel but it's touching on science fiction it's touching on fantasy it's touching on magical realism it's touching on horror it's touching on crime and so even if you know as this book is sort of a blend of crime and horror and literary i mean that's i think if you're if you're wanting to crack into that that world that's that's the way in in the in if you're writing in the genre yeah in a particular genre yeah. Yeah. i think it is um uh, similar over here and it sounds as though with the the, the pressures on publishers and, and bookshops um yeah, quite similar but i do agree with you that it seems to be leveling out i don't know it might just be wild optimism but right, it does right. seem to be certainly i know that um larger bookstore in uh, this country Waterstones has, has seen an upsurge and mm-hmm. it fits your description of selling cards and mugs and yeah. other things as well but there are still books there yeah. and uh, you know if you go in at lunchtime there are people sitting oh yeah you know, yeah. We, we went into a couple of Waterstones in London and I was just delighted by how many people were in there and we went into Blackwell's in Oxford yeah wonderful store absolutely and there's some great bookshops in this city as well mm-hmm. uh, absolutely outside of the festival um, something which occurred to me you mentioned it, it's set in the 80s uh, which it is um, I've noticed that recently quite a lot of writers are setting their novels pre mobile phone put it that way <laughs> right <laughs> because it's a real plot killer mm, I mean yeah. I'm not saying you do that but I just I'm interested of course not no. yeah, right <laughs> Um, the funny thing is, you know, that, that might have been my ignorance at the time, thinking I was, you know, doing myself a favor by, you know, you know eliminating mobile phones. But um, you, if you go out to West Texas, you know, Highway 90, where this book is set, even today, the service is so spotty out yeah. there that yeah. I could have set it in the modern Absolutely. Area, it's a bit like the islands and islands of Scotland. Yeah, right. you go certain places, you're not getting any reception. 
So how did you end up on uh, Saraband? How did that happen? Um, the rights were sold to Saraband through Skyhorse, my US publisher. So um, I just got an email one day and said, we've sold the rights. And I, had, I knew about Saraband through Burnett's novel, yeah. His Bloody Project. And, you know, because I think right after Sarah, um, Skyhorse picked me up, one of the first things I did was go to the bookstore and see what else are they publishing. And his was right there on the shelf. Yeah. Um, and um, which is a great book. And um, so that's really it. I mean, I, I, I didn't I didn't really have to do any extra work to get there. But once I will say this about Sarah Band, I love them. Yeah. They're wonderful. Sarah Hunt's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, once I once I was in, she's been a model of what you'd want to work with. You know, yeah, absolutely. They're a terrific so. um, uh, company, and a, I regularly um, get sent uh, the books, and they know how to pick up a good book. Right. That <laughs> absolutely. So and yeah, and now here you are at the Edinburgh uh, International Book Festival. Um, I mean, I know you haven't had your event yet. That's right this tonight. Evening. Um, but I, what is it well known? Is it, is it a well known festival? I did not know of it, but yeah. that's no way to judge anything. My <laughs> knowledge of things, I, I live a very bunkered life sometimes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, you know, until a year ago, I didn't know what was going on in the publishing world, sure, and, sure, and now sure. I probably still don't. So, um, so no, I I had never heard of it, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, I think it is recognized certainly within the U.S. publishing world yeah. as a big deal. Well, we, you know, we, I know particularly that we um, there's a uh, Glasgow um, book festival called I Write, and it tends it concentrates a lot on Scottish writers, but also sometimes European writers come mm-hmm. over. So but but uh, Edinburgh, you do get. American names and mm-hmm. you get you know bigger, bigger names coming over. Well, as a writer here, I, I will say this. I mean, I've been to many conferences, many festivals, and they all think they're big. They all think they're great. I've never been to anything like this in the states. Right. Um, you know, we have in Atlanta the Decatur Book Festival, and that's a very good festival, very solid, large festival. Um, but this is not. The scale is a little bit bigger, and it's very impressive. So, um, so what is next for you? I take it there, there is another. There is, yeah. Good. So, what can um, you tell us about that? I recently had the good fortune to sell another book to um, McDonald Books, right? Which is an imprint of Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, right? Okay. So, they're going to be publishing two more books of mine. Uh, so, the next book that that. Um, I've written already, and then the book after that, whatever that may oh, be. So, yeah, uh, that's very fortunate. So, the next book that's coming out is called *The Boatman's Daughter*, and it's kind of a swampy Southern Gothic, um, which is set in my home state. It's so funny to hear seagulls on a day like this. <laughs> seagulls on <are> everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, but don't anyway, look them in the eye. <laughs> right, <don't laughs> um, but yeah, that's what's coming next, and um, you know, I'm. I'm obviously very thrilled about that because I you know it's great I mean I, you know it's one thing I yeah. think doing a debut but to have a, a couple of other things already picked up is fantastic yeah so and um, has there been any interest in, in making this a film or anything like that haven't any haven't heard a word haven't heard a word yeah. no, I hope someone I'm it. interested in it yeah, if yeah. anybody out <laughs> <So> there <laughs> um, well Andy it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, I'm looking forward to your event later on alright and I have to say to everyone 
check out In the Valley of the Sun. It's a fantastic read. You will not be disappointed. And uh, we'll be back very soon um, with someone completely different. Cheers. <laughs>